My name is Jeremy Benstein, and I am the Associate Director of the Heschel Center for Environmental Learning and Leadership here in Tel Aviv in Israel. And our goal is essentially to uh, promote and uh, develop a vision of sustainability for Israeli society to transform Israel into a sustainable country. Okay, and uh, just a, just a small thing, <laughs> minor details and all. Okay, but uh, what are some of the critical issues and environmental threats in Israel right now? Well, I have to say, um, a, you know, given the way I framed or we frame our mission of, of developing a sustainable society, you, you can look at it in its uh, in its particulars, right, in its small parts, and can say, well, this has to happen in terms of legislation, and this has to happen in terms of economic incentives, and we have to do this regarding air, this regarding water. Um, and it's, you know, at some level, it's almost too easy to uh, break down the bigger picture into the small parts and saying, well, we have our water problems and we have our land use problems. And, um, you know, those lists are out there. So I'd actually want to take advantage of this this time given to me and to pass on this message and to be very, like Israeli politicians, often when they're interviewed in the press, they'll say, well, that's not the question. And then they go on and answer what they want to answer. So I'm going to answer what I want to answer, Absolutely. which is that um, I don't I don't think it's about problems. I don't think it's about the specific issues. I think that any solution to any specific issue is almost certainly not even going to be the right solution. Um, and again, going back to this idea of transforming Israel, well, that's because we're here, but um, essentially every society has to undergo this process so that the world can be transformed into a sustainable world, a sustainable society. Um, I've, um, I often uh, quote a favorite quote of mine from the uh, farmer philosopher Wendell Berry, who's written quite a bit, and I heard him speak once, and he said, you know, we often talk about the environmental crisis, and it's a very misleading term, because it makes us think that the environment has a crisis, but it's not a crisis of the environment, right? That's not the cause. It's a crisis of ourselves, of, of human values, of human society, human behavior. Um, and so when you redefine it that way, then we ask questions differently. Okay, what do we need to do differently? How do we need to see things differently? And um, I have to say that I think that uh, we're in a almost look at it as a unique window of opportunity precisely because of certain issues that have come up, certain other crises that many people don't even connect at all to the environmental world, the environmental movement or environmental issues. You know, when you say environment, you think, okay, what's what's going on with the air and the water and the land? But you don't think about what's going on with the stock market, right? Or what's going on with the world global finance. And the fact is that the global financial crisis that we're in right now is actually indicative of and completely connected to two other crises, one of which has to do with the environment, whether it be global warming or however we look at the question of resource use and, and our increasing devastation of the natural world and the abil its ability to provide us the services that it's always provided, and another crisis of democracy, that the world is becoming increasingly polarized between rich and poor, between developed and developing countries and things, and that's connected to exactly that financial crisis that uh, created these positive feedback loops that the rich kept getting richer uh, and more assets and more resources became concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer people um, based on the way the financial system was structured or has been structured up until now. And so I think the the most, the, sort of the um, call it the cutting edge 
kind of analyses or the the most visionary uh, kinds of statements of what needs to be done is to really address all these three issues together. Uh, Thomas Friedman calls it a green bailout, right? That that if we're going to restructure the system, if we're going to put in the kind of money and resources it's going to take to heal the financial system, it's going to be something on the order of what was done in the 30s as a response to the Depression. So it was amazing the amount of infrastructure that was created for in the United States as a response to the Depression. We can do that with these kinds of resources. We can totally wean ourselves from dependence on oil and and, and thus go a long way towards uh, solving the global warming problem. We can restructure the food production system, and that will also help global warming, but it also uh, uh, change a lot of other things. I think food is becoming one of the huge issues in the world today and in Israel through the work of you know famous authors who are writing about that, uh, through the development of all kinds of interesting initiatives like community-supported agriculture and the turn to organics and things like that. Um, so that's going to change. And maybe most importantly is that the economy has to be rebuilt from the ground up. In other words, empowering and, and developing and sustaining local economies uh, and changing the corporate structure of, of globalization and the global economy. So all these are a lot of big ideas and big words, but, but what it comes down to, again, is that it's not enough just to sort of make a laundry list of the problems and look at each one, what law is going to deal with this and what invention is going to deal with that, but to think about the great transition. That's what a number of people have been calling it. The big turning that's going to have to take place for everything to be done differently. It's not just about the environment. It's not, and it's even not just anymore about the economy. It's about our political system, our economic system, and everything all wrapped into one. Mm-hmm. So everything's connected to everything else, I guess. Well, that we've always known. The question is, how do we uh, pull the strings to get it going in the right direction? Yeah. Right. So um, I assume the Heschel Center bases a lot of its work on Jewish teachings. So what are some of the Jewish uh, Torah teachings that... Uh, you know, or spearhead of uh, your activities. Yeah, uh, we we do uh, at various points have tried to integrate uh, you know Jewish or spiritual teachings. I mean, we are after all of the Heschel Center, mm-hmm. uh, named after Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who, who really exemplified in his life a. Uh, an amazing synthesis of the spiritual and the political and a very forceful call for the renewal of uh, radical amazement and wonder and awe and uh, and very specifically regarding the natural world and and uh, different aspects of, of the spirituality of, of human beings. Um, sometimes that doesn't always get expressed when we do policy work with government, say, or when we do trainings for, uh, uh, for different professionals. Um, but um, I was actually, you know, five minutes ago, just came from working with a group that's here touring Israel from Greece and Cyprus, uh, a group of non-Jews who wanted to learn more about Jewish teachings on the environment. Um, and in addition, you know, as part of their tour of Israel to see other kinds of initiatives that we're doing and things that they can take back and use in their countries. Um, and um, and so I think that, um, I mean, there, there are just so many, so many aspects in it. And, uh, you know, you can talk about uh, the, the, the Jewish land wisdom, the land wisdom in Jewish tradition, because as opposed to, say, the more what I would call global religions like Christianity and Islam, uh, we are a, uh, a tradition that grew up in a particular landscape and have deep ties to that land uh, and have values that have come out about how to, that have, that have uh, grown up 
about how to take care of that land. How, what kind of, how should that responsibility be codified, as it were, in law? So there definitely, there's definitely wisdom in that respect. Um, but there are also global, sort of bigger, more more universal kind of values. And one of the texts that I used w- with this group before was a, uh, a midrash that I particularly like that talks about the creation story and says, well, what, what can we learn from the fact that the human being was created last in the order of creation, right? According to Genesis chapter 1, there were the six days of creation. The human being was created um, there on Friday afternoon. Um, and uh, my favorite uh, answer, there are four answers actually given in this midrash. My favorite answer to that question is what is seemingly the least environmentally positive one because it says, well, what can we learn from the human being created last? It's like, um, it's like a king who, who builds a palace and furnishes it and lays a banquet and only then invites in the guest of honor. And so on the one hand, yes, there is honor in being, there's dignity in being a human being, being created in the image of God and all our capabilities and everything. And yet uh, the message there is still just one of, uh, of guesthood, right? That we should never uh, allow ourselves to think that uh, we are the, the masters of the house, as it were, the landlords. Um, and so all the responsibilities and all the ethics of what it means to be a guest and our responsibilities to other guests in the world and the future guests that will come after us, I think, um, you know, is, is, should be one of the, uh, the firm pillars of any environmental ethic. Mm-hmm. Now, as we speak, October 2008, Israel now is facing the worst drought in its history. According to the Israel Union Environmental Defense, the uh, global warming is going to mean less rain, more heavy rain floods, Mediterranean rising. I mean, there's a whole litany, the air pollution, the world weather. Right, the Kinnaret is sinking and the Mediterranean is rising. It's yeah, a problem. Well, well, <laughs> so, given all this, um, are you optimistic that Israel will be able to meet these challenges? And God forbid if they don't, what would Israel look like, say, 10, 20 years from now? Um, I'd have to say, I think if, if I weren't basically optimistic, I probably wouldn't be working in this profession um, because uh, there's so many things that could make one pessimistic. Um, I think... Uh, uh, I will say some, a few more specific things about the actual question, but when you ask about like you know what will Israel look like ten to twenty years from now, um, I'll say two things. One is that you know I know that maybe many people listening to this, especially in uh, in various uh, countries of the diaspora who are connected to Israel and do love Israel, often think that there are these really life and death threats that threaten Israel, like the security threat, for instance, and and issues of territory and peace and things, global terrorism, and all kinds of things, which are indeed real threats. Mm-hmm. And by But by focusing exclusively on that, we often downplay other threats. And I would say that what would happen if we don't rise to these challenges is that 10 to 20 years from now, there wouldn't be much of an Israel left to protect. I mean, I think that this should be treated as no less a life and death issue that is at the very core of Israel's survival, no less than any other thing that's grabbing more of the headlines today. Um, and in fact, it, there are a few people who deal with like studying the future and, and trends and things like that that's saying that, that diaspora Jews would probably be better served if what they want to do is ensure Israel's future, that in Instead of giving to causes, not that I'm, I'm discouraging giving to causes, but if you think about it, if you took all that money that was given to things now in Israel and was invested in developing renewable energy, which would both solve global warming and also decrease the petrodollars that are going, that uh, some of which end up supporting terrorism in the world, that that would be a much better investment than the short term, you know, short term uh, trying to deal with other solutions. So that's 
in terms of you know the potential threat and the and the fear out there, but I don't want to end on that. I want to say that um, you know other environmentalists have said that uh, when you look at how other movements have 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 started in the world, like the civil rights movement in the United States, right? Martin Luther King gave his speech. He said, "I have a dream." Right? He galvanized people to follow a vision. Right? He didn't say, "I have a nightmare," and talked about the ravages of racism. Maybe because those were all too familiar with his his listening public, but it was more because you're never gonna. It's not enough to inspire fear in people. I don't think, even though I'm saying, you know, yes, there's a, there's a threat out there. It's not enough just to be scared of what might happen if we don't. We need to be more inspired by what could happen if we do, right? And it's not so. It's not just about survival. It's not just about making sure things continue more or less as they have been. We can create a much better world, a much better society that's more just, that has better, stronger community that has more spiritual meaning in people's lives. That's what we should be striving for. And along the way, we will solve these other problems, which are indeed threats to our physical survival. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you expound more on exactly what the Heschel Center is doing in terms of education, in terms of getting environmental message out to the young people and to all segments of society? Okay. Well, that is indeed our goal, right? We, we as I said, we're the Center for Education and uh, Environmental Leadership. Uh, and we see education as most broadly and kind of transformationally defined. So starting with uh, maybe chronologically in terms of age, we have a, we are, we are partners in a network of green schools, the Green School Network, um, that has several hundred schools now in the network, uh, from the north to the south, religious and non-religious, Jews and Arabs, urban and, and, and outside of urban areas, um, who each school that joins commits to three things, to uh, very uh, focused uh, environmental community projects where they are, uh, teacher training that the staff of the, of the network provides for the teachers who are implementing the programs, and the environmental education for the kids themselves that are in the schools. So we are trying to impact the um, the educational system because that is, of course, as we all know, our our long term insurance of how to really change society. Um, we have had some inroads in this, both the Ministry of the Environment and now the Ministry of Education. Even uh, through the person of the minister, Yuli Tamir, uh, has accepted the environment as a or sustainability as the theme for next year's uh, school year. Uh, this year's school year, sorry, I remember we're already in October, um, and uh, implementing more recycling programs and doing more significant uh, environmental education. So, so we have that in place. We do community work through the National Association of Community Centers, what's called Chavrat Hamat Nasim in Hebrew. And so we've done uh, every year now for four or five years, a course for community center directors and their education coordinators about what is it, what would a green community center be like and what kind of programs and what kind of initiatives they can do on the local level. Um, we work with local authorities through our uh, one of our biggest recent projects called the Center for Local Sustainability. Um, all of these, by the way, have uh, have uh, their descriptions and other things on, the, on, on through our website, through the Heschel Center, uh, heschel.org.il, so you can read more about these programs. Programs, um, but the uh, Center for Local Sustainability is um, a, is focused on translating all these big ideas of what sustainable development means into policy for cities and for uh, regional uh, regional authorities, um, and it's in conjunction with the European Union and uh, other international initiatives. Uh, we have a leadership program that I coordinate together with Dr. Dr. Leah Ettinger um, that takes basically mid-career professionals uh, for one full day a week for an entire year and does both a networking and a leadership training course with them for them. We're already in our 10th year of that program. We have over 100 graduates in the field. Uh, 
We have a former member of Knesset who's a, who's a fellow this year and a current member of Knesset who is a graduate of the program. We have some prominent media personalities. We have other people in government, in, in, in business, in academia, in health, in basically the whole range of professions. We have another project called the Good Energy Project, uh, which is devoted to developing alternative energies. And one of the things they do, for instance, in a really beautiful combination of solving environmental and social problems, is they, uh, by uh, using the carbon credits, that have been created through the uh, the uh, mechanisms for dealing with global warming. They generate funding for solar energy for unrecognized Bedouin villages. Um, a, so that they can uh, have power. They get off their diesel generators. It's quieter and cleaner, and there's less greenhouse gases being created. Uh, they sort of leapfrog into 21st century technology by having continuous solar power, which, of course, is very plentiful in the Negev. Um, and it goes a long way to uh, improving the quality of life of, I think, uh, the lowest, uh, most downtrodden sector of Israeli society. Uh, and so that's an environmental solution that's dealing with social issues. Um, and uh, we work with Israel's media in training journalists and trying to improve coverage, the, the, the sophistication and the uh, breadth of coverage of social environmental issues. Um, and we do programs for government ministries, for the national government, uh, trying to teach what is sustainability and how can they promote it through their own work. Mm-hmm. So do you see a change now where there's much more concern and involvement in the environment in recent years? Has the message gotten out there that something has to be done and changes have to be made? I- I have to say, I would say there's no question that there has been an increase, and I think, you know, in all modesty, I'll say it's very partly due to our efforts, or the envir- efforts, I'm saying, of the environmental movement, in which there are over 100 organizations, and mm-hmm. really doing a, having had a significant uh, inroads in all kinds of issues. But I think even, even more so, it's because there's a global shift in attitudes, and whether it's from, you know, Al Gore and the IPCC winning the, the Nobel Prize, or, you know, even people like Leonardo DiCaprio putting out movies about global warming. I mean, it's clear that, that there is a shift. People are realizing that a change needs to be made. Unfortunately, or maybe not unfortunately, but, uh, you know, it it's starts from the ground up. There are certain prominent people, but it has yet to completely uh, percolate up there into uh, all the corridors of power. The political decision makers have to make some very, very hard decisions, and I don't envy them, but uh, they're the ones who need to, uh, you know, develop the, uh, again, the, the mechanisms, the incentives, the legislation that's going to make the changes. And people in uh, in the corporate world, in finance, in business, and uh, in industry, uh, that also need to make some very hard decisions and realize not only how much they've been a force for uh, for problems, for, for, for damage and destruction, but how much they can be a force for good and reconstruction in the world. Okay, I really appreciate this. I just wonder if there's anything you think we've left out, any statement you want to make, I mean, any summary statement and just to you know, complete this. Not necessary, but if there's anything else you want well, to Well, I would just say again, assuming that many of the people listening to this are interested in Israel, interested in uh, in connecting to Israel, I think one of the um, one of the really um, positive and inspiring ways that Jews now, again, young as well as old, maybe even more so, uh, young younger generations, the birthright crowd, post college, young professionals, can connect to Israel is through uh, the environmental movement here. Um, it is a broad-based kind of it's not apolitical because we're very political we're very involved in getting things done in the political system but we're in a non, non-party aligned and so we transcend some of those ideological differences 
experience by working for what we hope that everyone believes is a is a, is a better uh, Israel because it's sustainable because it's an Israel that a can provide a life and livelihood for all its citizens uh, it can ensure the health and well-being of all its citizens and I think there's no better way to connect to the land and the people than through uh, connecting to this vision in Israel.